Welcome to worship service today. We are so glad that you were able to come this morning and worship with us. Uh, we have, um, it's just so good to be here, so good to uh, see you here. We can sing together, we can pray together, we can learn from God's Word together. Um, if you are new to Emmanuel, uh, if you would, fill out a connection card. They're in the seat backs in front of you. Uh, you can drop them off. We'll have giving baskets to go by today, or we have drop boxes around campus. Also, if you want to learn more about small groups or ministry or volunteer opportunities, just things more about what <clears throat> what our church does, we have a welcome desk. It's in the cafe, kind of on the south side of the building. You can drop it off there and talk to a person. They can also help you get connected. But just fill out, if you're new, just fill out any information that you would like for us to have, uh, and we'll contact you. Um, later this week. We have a few um, things coming up uh, that are exciting things in the life of our church. VBS is just right around the corner. It's a couple weeks away. It'll be the, uh, the, tw the June 25th through the 29th. We have uh, most of our, uh, vo our leader volunteers are in place. Greg is going to start. If you, if you registered to serve during VBS, Greg will be contacting people this week to kind of get everybody in place. So if you registered to volunteer, look out for email text calls from Greg Allen, our children's ministry director. If um, Registration for children is now open. So you can sign up your elementary age kids for VBS. We have a couple more things going on. Next week, um, we're going to have a commissioning service for a tr our team going to Kenya with Heart of the Bride. So be here for that. It'll be a good time of sending them off. Also, we have baskets and suitcases in the lobby. Bring school supplies and donate them so that the team can take those to Kenya with them. Next Saturday on the 17th, we will have a homeschool group meeting. We have a new homeschool ministry that's launching Kind of starting in this next school year, Laura Fowler and Jimmy Clark are the leaders of that. So if you have any questions, ask them about it. But also there's going to be an informational meeting and a get-together uh, this Saturday at 10 o'clock in the hangar. And bring your curriculum and you can talk about plan if you're a homeschool family, plans for the upcoming school year. Another thing to announce, next week we're going to have baptisms. Um, baptism is such a good illustration of death to life and new life in Christ. If you are um, thinking about, interested, if the Spirit is leading you, convicting you, that you need to be baptized, come and talk to somebody about it. Talk to uh, myself. My name is Michael. Or you can talk to Shan after the service. We would love to get you, uh, have, get that conversation started. So I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to uh, celebrate everything that the Lord has done together. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for this day. We thank you that you allow us to come together and to celebrate and to worship you. We are just th so thankful that you give us salvation. God, we pray that this morning that we glorify you well in our prayers and our songs. God, we pray that through the teaching of your word, hearts would, hearts would change. Holy Spirit, draw people to yourself. Convict them of sin. Help them step into new life and to right relationship with you. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen.
Amen. Would you stand with me as we gather here today to sing praise to our Lord? Psalm 95 calls us to worship. It says, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Come, let us come into his presence with thanksgiving, and let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. And I want to challenge us here today, not just to come to this place for what we can take from here, but for what we can give. Let's bring our sacrifice of praise to him today and sing and worship our great and mighty God. 2 Samuel 6, 12-23 says this, And it was told to King David, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the household of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all of his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among all the people the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed, each to his house. And David returned to bless his household, but Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said to Michael, It was before the Lord, who chose me above your father and above all his house, to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord. And I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. Father, we're thankful for your perfect and holy word. We're thankful that it is truth. We're thankful that you have spoken to us. Give us now ears to hear. Give us now hearts to receive. Use the power of your word to transform us more into the image of your son. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you grab your Bibles as you grab your seat and open with me to... 2 Samuel chapter 6, as we continue our series <clears throat> called Emmanuel, Owning Our Namesake. We are Emmanuel Baptist Church. Emmanuel means God with us. And so we need to understand what it means when we say that God's presence is here with us. It's quite the claim. And so we have been wrapping our brains around this idea of the presence of God. We're in our third of six weeks in this study. Last week we looked at Exodus 20 and we talked about the fear of God. 
And how fear, typically, we think of as a negative thing, but when we're talking about the fear of the Lord, having the right fear of the Lord, it's about having a reverence and a respect for Him that transforms, then, how we live our lives. We come into His presence, we gain this reverence for Him, and then we live differently because of it. But as we continue to look at this idea... And we, we, we realize first, we come into his presence, we have this moment of respect and reverence. He doesn't leave us in that moment. There's more to it. There's more than just the emotion of right fear. There's another emotion that comes in the presence of God. Now, this should not surprise us because oftentimes the human experience is very complex. We experience multiple emotions at the same time. Maybe you can think of the first time that you moved away from home. Maybe it's your first night in your dorm room at college or your first night in your apartment away from home. And you have this mixture of emotions. You feel both excited about this new chapter, this new season of life, but maybe also you feel a little bit homesick as you sit there in the darkness and try to fall asleep. Or I think of a time a couple years ago when I was about, I don't know, 30 pounds heavier And Kingston said to my wife, Megan, he said, Mommy, when I get older, I want to have a big belly just like Daddy. (laughs) And I had a strange mixture of emotions going on. I was both honored and hurt at the same time. And so it's not uncommon that we experience multiple emotions at the same time. We can experience both the fear of God and something else at the same time. And that's what we're going to look at this morning As we pick up in kind of the big story arc, the big narrative of God's word, we we leave Exodus 20 where God has established the covenant with his people. And he has given them instructions for how they're going to build the tabernacle and how they're going to build the ark. Now both of these things, the tabernacle is essentially a portable temple and the ark is basically at its core just a fancy box. But God says, teaches them, I'm going to use these as instruments, as demonstrations of my intentional presence with my people. Now, any good student of the Bible knows that God's presence is not limited by a building or by a box or a thing. If we want to use the fancy theological term, God is omnipresent. His presence is technically everywhere all the time. But the omnipresence of God is not the same thing as the intentional presence of God. God, they called the ark the, the footstool of God, that meaning that his throne is in heaven, but he is here with us in a very real, present, intentional way because of the ark, this instrument that he's using. And so they learn this lesson about the, the blessing of God's presence As they are led to victory by God's presence, the ark leads them essentially into the promised land where they conquer the enemies of God. As you think about the story of of Jericho, the city of Jericho, what was with the people as they marched around the city? It was the ark of God. It was the presence of God that provided them victory. But they also learned shortly thereafter that God's presence would not be manipulated. In 1 Samuel 4 through 6, they try to use the ark as like a, like a, a lucky rabbit's foot or a trinket. Well, God has to give us victory because we have the ark, and God does, would not be manipulated. His presence would not be abused, and in fact, they are defeated there for a time because of this mindset. 
But they once again learn to have a right reverence and respect for God and His presence. And then we hear of the story of King David and his success for the Lord. And he becomes the new king. He eventually unites both kingdoms, the kingdom of Judah, the kingdom of Israel. He conquers the city of Jerusalem, and he's going to make Jerusalem his new capital city. All of the success was not ultimately because of who David was, but because God was with him. We see in 2 Samuel 5, verse 10, this verse. David became greater and greater, for the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. So David recognizes the blessing of God's presence. And he wants to, he decides he wants to move the ark of God to his new capital city. It just makes sense if God blesses people with his presence. I want the presence of God in our new capital city. And so he decides he's going to create this royal processional. And what we see in verses 1 through 11, uh, which we won't have time to study in-depthly, is this. I actually intended for us to study the whole chapter, but last night when I was doing my final practice, the sermon was an hour long, so we're going to cut it in half. Um, And so, verses 1 through 11, we see that the holiness of God's presence brings us to our knees in repentance. Now, this is essentially the same truth that we learned last week, so that's why I feel confident that we can hit it real fast and move on to our new truth this week. But the holiness of God brings us to our knees in repentance. What happened was David decided he's going to bring the ark into Jerusalem, him and all these men, and they put the ark on a new cart drawn by oxen. They're having this big celebration, this big worship time as they go into Jerusalem. But then something happens. The oxen stumble. The cart begins to rock, and this man named Uzzah reaches out to stabilize the ark, and in touching the ark, he is struck dead instantly. Now, you're thinking at first glance, well, this is kind of crazy. What's going on? Doesn't this seem bizarre? Well, God actually gave very clear instructions on how the ark was to be transported. It had poles attached to it permanently because priests were supposed to carry it. And not just any priests, there were actually specific family of priests that was supposed to carry it. And so David, even in his um, genuine celebration of the presence of God, lost fear and reverence and respect for God. He thought he could come up with his own rules, his own methods, and we quickly learned that we do not define holiness, that God defines holiness. And so, in that moment, um, Uzziah is killed, David is humbled, and he learns, he's brought to his knees in repentance. And this is when we see a turning point in how David approaches God's presence. So this is where we pick up in our text this morning, beginning in verse 12. David has renewed his right fear of the Lord, his proper reverence. And in verse 12, it tells us this. It was told King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So we know from the parallel account of this story in 1 Chronicles chapter 15, a few more details. Obed-Edom is a priest, a Levite, and apparently he has the right reverence and respect for God because the presence of God in his household is not a curse. It is a blessing. And so David realizes, okay, if I approach the presence of God with the right reverence and respect, God's presence will be a blessing and not a curse. 
So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fatted animal. You notice how the ark is being transported, not on a cart, by those bearing it. And once again, we learn from First Chronicles that it was, in fact, the priests who carried the ark in the correct way. And we also see David's renewed reverence for the Lord in the fact that he makes this sacrifice at the beginning of the journey, saying, basically, I don't deserve your presence, God. I don't deserve to be with you, but you are good and gracious. And so they offer this sacrifice. And so because of his proper fear for the Lord, a new experience begins to happen. Verse 14. And David danced before the Lord with all of his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. And so we see this new experience happening in David. He is worshiping God with all of his might. He's so overflowing with joy that he can't but help to dance. Now, it would be wrong of us to look at this and say that David's fear was changed to joy. That's incorrect. David has joy in the presence of God because he also has the right fear of God's presence, a proper fear, a reverence and respect. And so we see these two emotions happening at the same time, a right fear and an overflowing joy through David. He demonstrates this both in how he worships, a whole full-hearted worship, and also in even what he's wearing. It tells us that he's wearing an ephod. Now, this is a, a simple garment, a humble garment. It is more typically associated with a priest than it is with a king. In fact, this is the exact opposite of what we would expect David to be wearing. This whole process of a big group of people celebrating as they enter into a city is not uncommon in the ancient world. We see similar things in many different cultures. You would maybe call this a coronation ceremony, or you would call it a royal procession, or you could call it a triumphant entry. It's kind of all of those things wrapped up into one. And the typical process, the king would be the center of the attention, and he would do everything he could to have all the focus pointed towards him. This is his chance for him to say, look how great I am. And this is his chance to have all the people say, look how great our king is. But David is doing the exact opposite of that. He wants everybody saying, look how good God is. And so he moves the attention off of him. He takes off kingly garments, a king's robe, and he puts on a simple priest's robe. Verse 16, as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. Now, you'll notice that twice in this passage, Michael is described as the daughter of Saul. Well, Michael is also the wife of David, but the author here is giving us a subtle clue as to the content of her heart, that her allegiance is first to the former king before it is to her husband and the current king. She sees David in this simple, humble clothing, 
not dressed like a king, and she thinks not acting like a king. He is not acting in the way that she thinks a king should act. Verse 17, And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place, inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. Once again, we see there, this is a time of both reverence and joy at the same moment. Verse 18, And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among all the people, the whole nation, the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, a cake of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed, each to his own house. So David is so overflowing with joy and reverence for the Lord's presence. He feels so blessed by the presence of God that he can't but help to bless other people. This, this blessing of God is overflowing out of him, and he shows it by blessing the people of God. However, Michael is still unhappy with his action. Verse 20, David returned to bless his household, but Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, how the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. Now, the author does not need to put in parentheses Michael was being sarcastic. We get it from the text. It's pretty obvious. She does not think that David has honored himself. She thinks that David has acted as a common fellow than as a king. This would actually be a better way to translate the word vulgar. Uh, the word vulgar communicates something that is perverse or morally corrupt. In the original language, this word was more like empty or worthless fellows, someone who is common, someone who is not honorable and dignified like a king. She's saying, David, you are acting in an unbefitting way. And she's trying to embarrass him by bringing up these young women who would have seen him acting not as a king, but as just a common man. Now, just in case you have done some study into this passage or heard a sermon on this before, some would interpret this to say that David was dancing during worship in his underwear. Maybe you've heard that before. Let me remove that distraction for you. That is not what an ephod is. It's a priest's garment. And in fact, in, if we had kept reading, reading yes, last week in Exodus 20, that one of the very next things God was going to say was give an instruction on modesty during worship so that there would be no distractions. If David was being immodest, that would accomplish exactly the opposite of what he was trying to accomplish, which is he was trying to put the focus and attention on God, so he takes off his kingly robe and puts on a simple robe, not his underwear. So don't worry about that if you were worried about it. If you've never heard that before, then now I just put a weird thought in your head for no reason. But... <laughs> That's okay. Michael's trying to embarrass David, make him think, well, maybe I should have acted a little differently, but he doesn't fall for it. Verses 21 through 23. And David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all of his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord, and I will celebrate before the Lord. David says, I, I don't really care who else was watching. I don't really care how you think I was perceived. I was doing this for the Lord. 
I only care that he was watching. I only care how he perceived me. And I will continue to celebrate him in the way that he calls me to celebrate him. Verse 22, I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes. In other words, I'm so determined to worship God in the way that he's calling me to worship him, that if that makes me contemptible in your eyes, I'm just going to be more contemptible. There's an old David Crowder song, it's, I will become even more indignified than this. If that's what God calls me to do, if that is the right and proper way to to celebrate his presence with me, then that's what I'm going to do. And he actually has confidence that the other people there that day rightly understood his actions. The female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. So this could be an indication of God's displeasure with Michael. We, we shouldn't necessarily take it that way because not everyone in the Bible who struggles with infertility is it because of God's displeasure. And that's certainly not the case for everyday life. This could also just be an indication of David's displeasure with Michael. And he tells her he is certain that he will continue to worship regardless of how she misinterprets his worship. That he will continue to overflow with celebration because of the presence of God. And so we see the two emotions that are happening here at the same time. They are not conflicting, but they are different. First, we saw that the holiness of God's presence brings us to our knees in repentance. The holiness of God's presence brings us to our knees in repentance. But that's not all. Also in God's presence we see this, that the grace of God's presence brings us to our feet in rejoicing. The grace of God's presence brings us to our feet in rejoicing. We have these two emotions happening at the very same time. It should be common in the presence of God that first we would think and say, God, you're too good. I don't deserve to be here with you. And then the very next thought to be, God, you're too good. Thank you for being here with me. So as we look at this text and as we maybe think of words that we could use to describe David as he enjoys the presence of God, what are some words that we would use to describe him? The first one I would think of would be celebration. That David is demonstrating to us that we have so much to be thankful for. I mean, we commonly celebrate the, the enormous gifts, the enormous graces that God gives to us. It's pretty much every single week that we sing some song about the gift of His Son, right? That Jesus willingly, He lived a perfect and sinless life, and then He willingly died on the cross in order to take the full punishment of God upon Himself for us. He was perfect and righteous and holy, and we are imperfect and unrighteous and unholy, and He provides the way for us to be covered over with His perfection, to be reunited fully into the presence of God. Now, that is a good thing, and it is right that we should celebrate it. It is right that we would sing about it. 
But I wonder if we aren't so covered over by the blessings of God that we forget about the little things. The Bible tells us that Jesus, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. In other words, everything would fly instantly into nothing if Jesus did not continue to hold it all together. That the only reason your heart is beating in your chest, it's not because of anything you're doing. You're not sitting there going, beat, beat. You're not keeping your heart beating in your chest. Why is your heart still beating in your chest? It's because God is keeping it beating in your chest. That the air that you breathe is a gift of God. Every breath you take is the grace of God. This is why we sing songs like, Great Are You, Lord. It's your breath in our lungs. This is a reference to Genesis when he made us out of the dirt and then he breathed life into us. Your life is sustained in this very moment because of the grace of God, because he is sustaining you. Every breath you take is not your breath, it's his breath in your lungs. And so it is only right that we would pour those breaths back out in praise to our good, gracious King. So we have so much to celebrate and so much to be thankful for. But I also think it's right and good that our praise would not just be thanking Him for what He has done for us, but also praising Him for who He is. The very core of God's essence, His nature and character is good and righteous and holy and merciful, and loving. That's who He is. Regardless of what He has done for us, that's still who He is. So this is why we sing songs like, Holy, 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 all the saints adore Thee. This is why we sing songs like, You have no rival, you have no equal, now and forever, God, you reign. Yours is the kingdom, yours is the glory. This is why we sing songs where all we're doing is just talking about how good He is. Because He is that good. Because we can't but help to celebrate the very core nature and character of God. It, you know, it really makes sense that we do this if, as we think about our day-to-day lives. We commonly celebrate the things that we enjoy. You see a good movie, what do you do? You tell people about it. You hear a good song, you say, hey, listen to this song. We naturally want to celebrate what we enjoy. C.S. Lewis argues that this is the very heart of why we worship, the heart of the Psalms even. He said in his book, Reflections on the Psalms, he said this, it is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. It is frustrating to have discovered a new author and not to be able to tell anyone how good he is. To come suddenly at the turn of the road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur and then to have to keep silent because the people with you care for it no more than for a tin can in the ditch. To hear a good joke and find no one to share it with. Don't you see that when we enjoy something, we enjoy it that much more when we can share about it, when we can praise it, when we can celebrate 
the enjoyment of it. And that causes us to enjoy it even more. And so this is what we're doing when we worship God, when we celebrate him, when we overflow because of his grace and his goodness. We are just enjoying him that much more because we can't but help to sing about him. This is why we would sing a song like, How Great Thou Art. O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. What happens? Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. When we look around and we just even see what God has made and how good it is, we overflow with celebration because of his greatness. What this means, church, and I understand that I'm speaking to a good Baptist church here, but I'm still going to say it. It is biblical for worship to get noisy sometimes. It is biblical to clap and cheer because of God and who he is and what he has done. I'm going to be honest, coordinated with Michael so that we would clap and celebrate after the songs. And it's something that I've wanted to do for the last two weeks, and I've started to celebrate at the end of a song, and I thought, well, I don't, do they do that here? Maybe that's... <laughs> and I'm going to tell you, that was a sinful thing for me to think of. What I should have said was, I'll become even more undignified than this, if that's what I have to. Because if... <laughs> Simmer down now, okay? If God... If the Holy Spirit is leading you to celebrate God, to clap and to cheer, become undignified because he is worthy of that. He deserves honor, so much so that even our bodies should demonstrate what is happening inside of us. He is worthy of celebrating. Now understand, I get it. This isn't a concert. When we clap at the end of the song, we're not telling the praise band, you did such a good job. We're telling God, you have done such a good job. You are so good. Thank you. We are celebrating who God is, that he is Emmanuel God, that he is blessing us with his presence. And so we look at David and his overflow of worship and we see celebration, but we also see humility. He takes off his kingly robes and puts on a humble priest's garments. Why? Because he wants to take, the presence of God naturally takes the focus off of me and puts it on him. You've had this experience, right, where you've been in God's presence. You're not thinking about yourself. You're focused entirely on him, completely enamored with who he is. You turn your eyes upon Jesus You look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's what the presence of God does. It takes our minds off of us and sets them on him. And this is exactly what David was doing, exactly what he was trying to do when he took off his kingly robes. This is the opposite of what the culture expected In uh, Egypt, when they were coronating a new king, 
He wore all kinds of crazy things to show how great he was. He wore a a false beard made from goat's hair because that identified him with the god Osiris. He held a scepter shaped like a shepherd's crook because that showed that he was the ruler. He had a fly whip because that was a symbol of power and authority. He would wear a bull's tail hanging from his belt because that was a symbol of strength. And of course, he would wear a crown. He wanted what he was wearing to point to him, his greatness as a king, his power, even making the claim that he was God. We see the same thing with the Roman triumph. The first one's not going to happen for a couple hundred years after David, but you get the point that the, the general, when he's marching into town, all these people celebrating his, how great he is, his great victory, he wears a crown of laurel. He wears a toga that is all purple. It has gold embroidery, which identifies him as near divine. He even would paint his face red in imitation of Rome's highest and most powerful god, Jupiter. This is the expectation. This is the culture that David was living in, that he was supposed to wear all of these things that point the focus and the attention to him, that tell about how great he is, and he said, I'm not doing it, taking it off. Because ultimately, it's not about me. The focus and the attention shouldn't be on me. This royal procession, this coronation, was not ultimately making David king. David was saying, God is our king. He deserves the honor and the focus and the glory because he has blessed us with his presence. What this teaches us is that worship isn't actually about us. Here at Emmanuel Baptist Church, and rightly so, we have you know, ministry to students, we have ministry to children, ministry to preschool, we have ministry to men, ministry to women, ministry to senior adults. All of this time when we're ministering to people, meeting their needs, worship is our time of ministry to the Lord. Now, don't get me wrong, God does not need anything. He is completely self-sufficient and self-satisfied. And yet the Bible is clear, for example, in Psalm 103, that we have the opportunity to bless God. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. I don't understand it. God needs nothing, and yet somehow we can bless him. That when we worship him in spirit and in truth, a smile on his face. And let me tell you, church, that is the complete opposite mentality that most churches has, have had about worship for about the last 30 years. What have churches fought about more than anything over the last 30 years? It's music. Do I like this song? And apparently that's the last question we should be asking. The first question we should be asking is, Does God like this song? This is ultimately not my time to have a feel-good, lovey-dovey moment with God. This is ultimately my time to bless God. And that is the heart of worship. That is what worship looks like when we both celebrate and are humble. And so, when God's presence humbles us, we come to worship with these priorities in this order. Number one, we're here to bless God. 
Does God care if we have an organ or drums? Does God care if it's a new song or an old song? God cares that we focus on Him, that we honor Him because He deserves it. So number one, bless God. Number two, encourage and lift up my brothers and sisters around me. And then number three, enjoy His presence. All of those things are right and good, but they have to be in that order for them to be biblical. For us to make worship ministry our opportunity to minister to the Lord. And if that's our mindset, then I think we're going to ask very different questions about what songs we're singing and how we're singing them. And so why do we want to be Emmanuel Baptist Church? Think about the world today. Our world today is increasingly dissatisfied, increasingly angry, increasingly anxious. And what we're saying is that when you come to this place, you will find a people who are enjoying and celebrating the presence of God. Doesn't that stand? in complete contradiction, in stark contrast to how our world operates. In a world that is increasingly worshiping themselves and in doing so finding emptiness. What we're saying when we put Emmanuel Baptist Church on our sign is come here, you'll find the presence of God and for once the focus is going to be off of you. It's going to be on Him. And in that, you won't find emptiness. You'll find the fullness of joy. You'll find pleasure forevermore. And so we have to be Emmanuel Baptist Church. We have to be different. We have to own our namesake because we have the one thing that the world desperately needs. And that is being in God's presence and then overflowing in joy and celebration because of that. As we are concluding our time this morning, we're going to have an opportunity to respond. What that means is if the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart, do what He's telling you to do. Respond to the, the voice of the Holy Spirit. But as the band is coming up, I want to ask you this final question. The Bible is clear that at the end of this life, we will all come face to face with God, fully into His presence. When that happens, will God's presence be a blessing to you or a curse to you? The only way you can know the answer to that question is if who you know who your Lord is. Because Jesus was the rightful king priest. But he willingly took off his holiness so that he could cover us with his holiness. The only way that you can come fully into God's presence and it be a blessing for all of eternity is if Jesus is your Lord. And so I'm going to be down here in the front ready to speak with anybody. And I'd be happy to show you from the scriptures how Jesus can be your Lord today.
and how you can enjoy the presence of God, how you have something to celebrate about. Father, we're thankful for your perfect and holy word. We're thankful that it has the power both to humble us and to encourage us at the same time. We're thankful that you are deserving of all honor and glory. We ask in this time that your presence would take our focus off of us and set it on you. That as we sing this song, that it would be a blessing to you. What a joy, what a privilege, God. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.